Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey Awesomes, this is Meg Teets, and welcome back to another episode of our Extra Awesome series. From time to time, we take a break from our regular Friday schedule and talk to interesting people who are doing awesome things in the world. Before we get to that, I want to give a big shout out to our superstar awesomes. These are the people who support Sorta Awesome every month at $5 over on Patreon. Last month, we did our first ever superstar gift swap, and oh my goodness, it turned out so much better than I had even dreamed that it would. Every superstar who wanted to participate in the swap was assigned to another awesome to send out a little care package with fun stuff to make spring a little more joyful. And the best part was seeing the pictures of the gifts as we opened them. There was no small amount of squealing and joy about how fun it was to get a special surprise from another Superstar Awesome. Now I'm telling you about this because we're going to do a summer swap starting next month. So if you want to get in on that, now is the time to sign up. When you sign up to become a supporter on Patreon, you get access to our exclusive Facebook group, as well as a private podcast feed that is filled with hours and hours and hours of episodes that we created just for our superstars, topics that you will not hear us discuss on the Friday show. I think it could just be the summer binge that you are looking for. So to check out all of that and get signed up for our summer swap, it's so easy. Just go over to sortaawesomeshow.com slash support. Okay, friends, we are in for a real treat, a nourishing and healthy treat, actually, because that's what our guest today is an absolute expert in. Christine Brandt is a lover of grilled cheese, Julia Child, and British dramas. She's not plagued with hillbilly ears, apparently, like I am. (laughs) Christine is also a certified health coach, and through her nutrition business, Nourished, Christine coaches women through their relationships with food. She does meal preps for local clients in their homes, and she produces the podcast, We Feel Super Nourished. So Christine, welcome to Sorta Awesome. Hi, Meg. Thanks for having me. Is this real life? Am I actually talking to you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am so glad that you are. First of all, obviously, you have a lot going on, a very busy schedule. So thank you so much for taking the time to come to Sorta Awesome. Oh, it's my pleasure. 
I really wanted to have you come and share with us some of your thoughts because in our sort of awesome hangout group, which is our awesome community over on Facebook, it is very common for people to start conversations asking for the advice and opinions of others when it comes to all things like food, eating, um, body image, body positivity. We have, yeah. because it's, you know, 5,000 women, of course, when we get together, <laughs> it's going to come up. <laughs> it's going to come up. So I'm so thankful that you are able to take the time to come in and share some of your wisdom and your guidance, because this is really the realm where you shine. So thank you again for coming to the show. Yeah. Um, let's start with just a little bit of background information. Tell us a little bit about how you found your way into this field. How did you find your way into the world of nutrition and health coaching? Take us on the path that brought you to where you are now. Sure, I'd be happy to. So I started studying nutrition just out of a genuine interest for the topic. I <laughs> I didn't get my degree in nutrition. I was an intercultural studies major in college. Um, but after I graduated, I I just, uh, yeah, didn't really have a career path in mind, as is common for the college graduate. Um, and so I started studying because I was interested and I realized I kind of wanted to find a way to help people in the global nonprofit world with access to nutrition because a lot of people in that career path didn't have great health care. So I thought this would be a cool, unique way to do it. But then it was a happy surprise for me when I, you know, the more I studied, the more I really fell in love with nutrition and realized, okay, I can I can really commit my life's work in this area. So I started noticing and I love how you talked about the awesomes questioning things in the hangout because I started noticing a lot of confusion around nutrition. You know, it seemed like every nutrition professional seemed to be promoting a very oh different like yes. specific diet or specific lifestyle or specific food restriction that everyone was supposed to be mm. uh, partaking in. And I just got curious about this idea. I thought like, this is weird. The only consistent thing about nutrition advice is that there's always conflicting advice. Oh um, my gosh. It's so true. This is something so that, yeah, I think all of us talk about. It's like, how do we know who we're supposed to trust and believe when people who are obviously educated and credentialed mm. and know what they're talking about have opinions and advice that are totally in conflict with each other. Like, what are we even supposed yeah. to do? <laughs> and we can all think of people we know personally who like one person is thriving on the vegan diet mm. and another person is thriving on the paleo diet. And so I just, I got to a place where I wasn't satisfied with these, I would call them like dueling convictions. They were floating mm. around, confusing people. Um, so I really uh, found a lot of hope in Joshua Rosenthal's concept. He's the founder of the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, mm -hmm. and he coins the term bioindividuality or this idea that there's no one-size-fits-all diet. And through education, we can, we can really learn to trust our unique biological makeup, to trust our cravings. So the problem wasn't the vegan diet or the paleo diet. I'm not picking on those. The problem was not making space for what each body needs. So through this idea, you know, I found a need in the world for this more gracious approach to nutrition care that I really wanted to offer. And so that's how Nourished was born. 
That is so awesome and really leads right into the first thing I wanted to ask you about Mm. because you were talking about this idea of being able to trust our cravings and understanding that we are unique individuals in all ways, including what it is that our bodies need to be nourished, to thrive, to be really healthy. And so There's this idea, and of course, I'm sure you're very familiar with it, a sort of movement towards intuitive eating. Yeah. Um, This is a book that I I read a book on intuitive eating last year um, when my friend Laura Tremaine, our former Mm -hmm. um, co-host, also read it. And we talked about it a little bit on Sort of Awesome. She's talked about it over on Smartest Person in the Room, her podcast series. Um, It really seems to be trending right now in the larger culture. I mean, I don't think it's like totally reached pinnacle. Like I feel like more and more people are just are discovering it all the time, but it kind of reflects some of the the ideas of it kind of reflect what you were just saying. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on this movement toward intuitive eating. And then also, I think one of the biggest things when people start to hear and think about, talk about intuitive eating. I think a very natural first response because of the way our culture has kind of programmed us Mm -hmm. is fear and be like, well, if I only ate what I was craving, I'd live on ice cream and Twinkies all day. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm so (laughs) glad you said that. Yes. (laughs) So talk us through what your thoughts are. And then I would love to hear some thoughts on what it actually looks like once you begin to implement that in reality. Yeah, that's an important part of the question because it's like, this is all well and good, but how does this actually work? Um, Right. So yeah, I think I started practicing intuitive eating before I realized it was a book because oh, yeah. uh, the you know intuitive eating at the end of the day is exactly what you think it is. It's very intuitive, but it is a book. You know, let's back up. So the book Intuitive Eating by Evelyn Trebol and Elise Resch. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing their names right. Um, they really camp out on a few main ideas. Um, one being we want to reject the diet mentality. They do a really good job of explaining the risks of weight fluctuation and how um, going up and down a significant amount of weight over and over and over in your life can really harm your metabolism and different um, processes in your body. And then they spend a lot of time talking about what it means to honor your hunger and respect your fullness. And so as I read, I realized I wasn't actually fully committed to intuitive eating because I was still practicing restriction in certain areas Uh, of my diet. Um, And that, that really had an impact on me because the author's really emphasize unconditional permission to eat. Mm-hmm. And like you said, Megan, a common objection is, well, if I trusted my body, I would live off of Twinkies or, you know, <laughs> I just don't want to think right. about where I'd be. Yeah. But yeah. if we approach this unconditional permission to eat with truly honoring hunger and respecting fullness, you won't. And so there's a lot of work that it takes to get to that place of understanding what it means to be satiated and what it under what it means to be really satisfied and to enjoy your meals. But just just to make a note on, you know, some of the work that I've been doing personally, because I think it helps to know that nutrition professionals don't have it all figured out. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I actually ended up making a shift to my own diet. Even just earlier this year, I stopped restricting sugar. And, you know, that was a really helpful restriction for a time. It helped me to kind of reorient sugar and and just like reprioritize it in my life. But I realized mm-hmm. I could trust my relationship with food now. And so mm-hmm. I think a lot of times too, it helps to really grasp a concept if you look at what it's not maybe. So 
a few things that intuitive eating is not. It's not saying, I'm going to use intuitive eating to lose weight. It's not a weight loss diet. Now, a lot of people do find that they discover their body's natural weight through intuitive eating, but we don't know if that means you're going to go up a few pounds or you're going to go down 50 pounds. Um, and then it's also not... Uh, saying that I'm gonna I'm gonna do a 30 day intuitive eating program. In this regard, I really like to think of it more as a philosophy. Um, mm-hmm. I think it does as much as I'm I'm all for. There's no one size fits all approach, and I'll be honest. Uh, there are people in my life who <laughs> do not jive with intuitive eating. My husband being one of them. Like it's not for everyone. But I think if you want to get on board, there's room for everyone. Um, and there's a lot of different eating approaches that would work within intuitive eating. So what it looks like in reality, let's, let's take an example of maybe, uh, the day, a day in the life of a diet survivor. I don't want to pick on a diet that's like currently trending. So let's, let's look towards like a low fat diet because, yeah, you know, I think most in the, of us are like, okay, we're over that. We've most moved of us on. Are over that. Yeah, I think yes. in the eighties and nineties, like fatphobia yes. was a really big thing. Oh, totally. And so, you know, and this this woman in our example may have had a piece of whole wheat toast with margarine and egg white omelet for breakfast, and then like a fat free yogurt as a snack, and then just a small salad with a diet dressing for lunch. Um, I don't know, maybe some plain celery sticks. Come home. You have your broiled chicken, your broccoli with no oil. And then she's thinking, oh, I've been really good all day. I really want chocolate. And there's this like delicious homemade chocolate cake in the freezer. But instead, I'm going to be good. I'm going to go and have one of the like little prescribed 100 calorie brownie bites that I can yes. do on this diet. And she eats one. It's not satisfying. She eats another one. She eats the whole box. And yep. it's still not really hitting the mark. So then she ends up eating a couple slices of the chocolate cake that are in the freezer. Right. And right. oh my gosh, Christine, I'm like <laughs> nodding along furiously because I have lived this life for sure. I mean, I think I would I became, you know, sort of went came into adulthood mm-hmm. in the late 90s and early 2000s. And so like Snackwell's cookies were I don't know that they are still a thing that but they were big and, you know, definitely the fat-free yogurt, all of that. And so like I would get a box of those Snackwell cookies and like eat the whole thing mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> before I knew what had happened for sure. Yeah. So like everything you just described in an earlier version of my life, I have literally lived that. <laughs> it's so familiar. And I do want to pause and just acknowledge that like what I sh- just shared might've been triggering for some people because eating and, you know, thinking about the way we eat, it can be a little like make people feel a little self-conscious. So we're not ascribing sure. any, um, morality or worth statements to these behaviors. But that is an example of of what the diet mentality looks like. So then you had asked, you know, what does intuitive eating look like in reality? So maybe after this same woman has done the mental work of learning to trust her cravings. And, you know, it's more than we can really get into today. But fortunately, there is a whole book on it that we love. Um, But, you know, now that she's a few months out, maybe a year out from this mental work, she realizes, okay, I'm always hungry after like an hour after breakfast. So she adds some good quality fat to her breakfast. Mm -hmm. Um, And then maybe she finds, oh, wow, I wasn't even hungry till lunch. And then she 
said yes to going out with coworkers because she realized a socializing is a healthy part of of eating. And she didn't even have to meticulously plan what she was going to order on the menu beforehand. And she enjoyed herself and she enjoyed the company even more than the food. And then she came home and she cooked because cooking is something that used to feel really dangerous to her, but now she's getting back in touch with that. And she made this delicious pasta dinner, but then she sat down and realized she was craving more of the side salad than the pasta because the lunch was really rich. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that same chocolate craving came around at dessert time. <laughs> I think of dessert time as like a regular occurrence. Um, <laughs> and she realized I'm not actually hungry for it, but, but here's the deal. I have permission to eat it if I get the craving later. And I will. Mm. And so that's just an example. You know, it can look different for different personality types. But does that kind of make sense where I'm going with it? Oh, it absolutely does. And I do think what you said earlier is a really, well, I will say this for me, being able to unattach morality from specific foods was probably the biggest epiphany and also the hardest work that there was for me my journey into that. And then also it has been very difficult for me personally, having gestational diabetes with this pregnancy Mm. to move back into a space where for this amount of time, uh, I do have to go back to some restrictions that I had kind of like unhooked from, but now I'm like, have to live with them again. So in a lot of ways, the mental work of ha- of managing my gestational diabetes has been far more difficult than the physical work. Um, one thing that has helped me is being able to realize like this is a limited amount of time and it's for a bigger purpose. It's for a good cause. <laughs> it's for a really good cause for growing your little yeah. human. And I yeah. will just interject and say that the authors of Intuitive Eating, they do a good job at the end of the book of addressing, um, you know, there is room in, within intuitive eating to account for food sensitivities and even like mm-hmm. even ethical choices of, you know, say choosing not to eat meat for a certain reason. Like we can still do that in a really mindful way. Like you said, it wouldn't do you any good to just keep <laughs> eating all the sugar you wanted. So right. Yeah. The limited time thing is a factor, but truly that, that whole like moral component. And, and I think I began learning this even as a small child, definitely as a teenager, you know, hearing my own mother label something good or bad, or this is, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be really naughty and have this, I'm going to, or, or I have been really good. And so I deserve this. Yeah. Just these um, moral terms that we apply to food so often, and it's really almost just like part of our language and view of the world to really become aware of that and conscious of it and really um, break down with that like taking that vocabulary away from food, what that looks like. I mean, when I say it was really the hard work, it really was because every time it would be one of those things where like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how ingrained in my thinking about food. Yeah. And it feels like no one's really doing the work with you. And it's, it's kind of an icky thing to impose on people who aren't there um, because we don't want to be policing. So yeah, I hear (laughs) you. Yeah. 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 Totally. Okay, well, let's move on and talk about another concept that is really big in our culture right now, and that's the concept of body positivity. Now, I know that you recently did a whole series 
on the idea of body positivity, what it looks like applying some of the um, sort of philosophies of it in different contexts and different situations. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes for you awesomes because Christine has like, there's so much more. We're just going to, we're barely going to hit the tip <laughs> of the iceberg here, but I will put a link in the show notes to your episodes of We Feel Super Nourished where you Thank really you. go into this. Um, but yeah, I went, I wonder if from your perspective, again, from somebody who is looking at nutrition and health from a really holistic, integrative way. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about what it means to, ac- to come to a place of seeing our bodies positively and also kind of navigating when there may be tension between like, I want to love my body, but at the same time, I realize there's things that there's areas of my life that kind of need some support to move towards healthiness. And I mean, yeah. honestly, a perfect example for me right now is the whole gestational diabetes thing. Right. <laughs> uh, because if that's a very real medical thing and I can't love my body enough to balance my blood sugar, <laughs> mm-hmm. if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, there's some physical changes. That, yes. Yeah. Totally. So I wonder if you could just kind of, again, give us the overview from your perspective. And again, we'll send people over to get a, more of a deep dive on your show. For sure. Yeah. So the internet definition, <laughs> and there really is one, like if you were to look up body positivity on YouTube, you'll find all sorts of videos. Um, but the yeah. simple definition is all bodies are good bodies. Um, so mm-hmm. we agree. And I do want to acknowledge that I'm speaking about all of this from a place of body privilege. Um, you know, body shaming is one of the last socially acceptable forms of yes. discrimination in our culture, unfortunately. Yeah. And even down to our, our doctors, the people we're supposed to trust the most with our health. So I want to acknowledge yeah. that. Um, so on the show, you know, when we embarked on this series, we expanded the definition and we said, yes, we agree. All bodies are good bodies. The second point we made was, you know, we want to speak the truth about our bodies in love. And then the third point was health is available to individuals of all shapes and sizes. And it must be determined through a holistic lens. So it's like, guess what? If you are what your doctor would consider 20 pounds overweight, but all of your screenings are coming back normal, you feel good in your body, you're happy about what you're eating, you're happy about the way you're moving, um, you don't have pain, you're sleeping well, et cetera, you've arrived. Like you're perfect the way you are. Um, And at the same time, it's not a but, it's an and. Some of us still aren't happy with the way we are or with where we're at because of pain or energy issues or whatever. So that's why we did feel the need to expand our definition because we want to leave room for the fact that there sometimes there are areas in health that need to grow or change. And I really think that accepting our bodies and developing our health can coexist. They can, they don't have to fight. They can be friendly. And you know, while a body positive approach to weight loss, for example, doesn't look the way you might expect it to, it is possible to explore finding your body's natural weight through thoughtful habit shifts, like getting super in touch with hunger and fullness cues, um, all while staying true to body positivity. And that's actually where my co-host Jackie and I landed on our finale for that series was, so after all this work, uh, what do I do if I still want to lose weight? (laughs) Um, because that, that's a question we were getting a lot and we didn't want to just brush that under the rug. So, um, yeah, we totally think they can coexist. 
That is so great. And I do think that being able to incorporate a more holistic view of health, and really, I think that that emphasis on like, if you're, you know, if all of the other indicators in your life say you're healthy and you feel like Mm -hmm. you do have energy, that you are, that you have the capability ability to do the things that you want to do in life, um, that that can help to really alter any discomfort that we might have in stepping out and being like, I actually do love my body, <laughs> which can be right. really uncomfortable to try to get to that place. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. So good. That is so, so encouraging to know that it doesn't have to be either or that it definitely can be a both and situation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Well, before we wrap up, there is one thing that I wanted to ask you, and that is, is there a question that you maybe don't even get asked very often by your clients or in your conversations for your podcast? You you may not get asked a lot, but it is something that you wish that more women were talking about, something that you wish that more women knew about anything in this realm, Mm -hmm. food, health, (laughs) wellness, all of the things. I love this question because what you're really saying is, what else do you want to say? (laughs) And so that's a really kind opportunity. Um, Yeah. And there is something that I I wish more women were asking. I just actually, let me put it this way. I wish more women were questioning the way we talk about health and food. And so I love that Mm. this already came up in our conversation, Meg. Um, I, and my, my clients, my friends and family know that I am a vocabulary bully sometimes. Like I'm on a personal (laughs) mission to get everyone I know to remove good, bad, and other moral words from their vocabularies when it comes to discussing health and diet behaviors. Um, so let's, let's just like talk about that for a minute. The problem with using moral language about a neutral subject like food is that we're ascribing worth and value to our behavior. Mm. Um, and anytime we do that, it's a slippery slope, whether food is the issue at hand or not. So, you know, take, for example, um, a woman who might casually say at the office on a Monday morning, how's your weekend? Oh, uh, I was so bad this weekend. I ate 10 cookies in one sitting. Mm-hmm. Um, So as the recipient of that statement, as the listener, we're kind of stuck. And we've unfortunately been conditioned to respond with statements like, oh, it's okay. We all have our guilty pleasures. Or uh, you you earned a little treat. You've been so good with your diet. So, you know, I'm here to suggest, like, what if we were to instead just gently – embark on a journey of inviting one another to really say what we mean about food and health. Um, like we've said already, it's, it's hard mental work and not everyone is ready to go there. Like we all have, um, you know, specific bandwidth. I'm not ready to do mental work about certain areas, but if you're listening and you're like, I need a little bit of a takeaway, um, maybe you know of a girlfriend who also listens and and you guys could team up in the coming week and just challenge each other to remove good, bad, and all other moral language from your vocabulary when you're talking about food. And again, this isn't for an opportunity to police or to really bully each other. Like I said, the prompt would just then be, you know, if you're if you hear a friend say something about, uh, you know, take the cookie example again, your response might be, what do you mean by that? And then it gives her, or maybe you're, you're the one who said it, the opportunity to say, what I really mean is, I think I disappointed myself this weekend. Um, I ate way past the 
way past comfort. I ate uh, way past the point of fullness. I didn't even enjoy cookies three through 10. Uh, I didn't even taste them. And I just really want to get to a place where I can crave, eat, and enjoy one cookie at a time. And it's like, wow, if that's really what you meant, like we're getting to the root of it, you know? So I, I just, I love this activity. It's, it's uh, really powerful. And I think it's really fun to watch women having these conversations together because um, like you said, when you were doing that mental work, Meg, it can be pretty discouraging when everyone around you is still kind of stuck in the the good, bad, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's really good. And thank you for also kind of giving us a vocabulary for what it looks like, because again, for a lot of us, this is just so much that this has been part of our conversation um, around our bodies, around what we're eating for literally a lifetime. And so it's like, well, if I don't say that, then literally, what do I say? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that is super helpful to have some examples of some good working vocabulary there. So yeah, for sure. And we actually got to do a whole episode about nourishing vocabulary in season one. So you can find that if you want. Um, And my co-host Jackie was very gracious and let me just kind of pick on her. She gave me a bunch of examples and I offered counter <laughs> counter phrases. So that was fun. That is so great. I will for sure put that into the show notes as well. Um, speaking yeah. of show notes, I want to be able to point everybody to where we can find you for follow-up conversation. Um, for, you know, if they, if people want to check out your podcast, your work, just tell us all of the places that we can find you all around the web. Sure. You can always find me at ifeelsupernourished.com. You can reach out to me on the contact page there. I also hang out on Instagram frequently. I'm at ifeelsupernourished. And then you can check out our show if you want. It's We Feel Super Nourished on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Awesome. Again, Christine, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to come and give us this pep talk and to help us really, you know, get a few more steps down the road in our journeys towards health and wellness. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity, Meg. Of course, of course. Awesome. So you all know you can find me on social media at Sorta Awesome Meg. Don't forget the shows over on Twitter at Sorta Awesome Pod. And you can find us anytime on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see y'all next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.